0: Welcome back, brothers and sisters, to uh, the afternoon session. We're going gonna, we're gonna to uh, kick off with a, uh, uh, maybe 20 to 30 minutes of, of Q&A, insha'Allah. The Q&A mics are going to be coming around uh, on both the brothers and the sisters' side. So if you have a question, just uh, raise your hand and uh, the mic will come to you, inshallah. In the meantime, uh, we'll take one of the questions from before. Uh, the questioner asks, The Qur'an... Prohibits compulsion in religion, but the ahadith order fighting people until they say, La ilaha illallah, and executing the apostate. How do we reconcile these uh, teachings? Uh, there are two ways to reconcile them that the scholars of Islam mentioned that I can remember off the top of my head. One are those people who say that the ayah La ikraha fid is abrogated. By the ayah "Inna Dina Indallahil Islam." However, I don't personally think this is a very strong opinion. However, it's one of the opinions that "La Ikraha fi Din" is abrogated by the ayah "Inna Dina Indallahil Islam." That there's is no compulsion in religion is abrogated by the ayah that the religion in the sight of Allah is Islam. However, easier than that, and this is a principle in Tafsir and in Hadith, that if you have an opportunity not to to, to cancel one ayah But to carry both ayat And apply both of them In a way that suits both of them Then this is more befitting Than cancelling out one of the ayat And the same goes in hadith If you have two contradictory hadith And you can apply both of them This is more deserving Than cancelling out one of the hadith So in this regard it's very simple We say that La ikraha في الدين Applies to those people before they accept Islam. That there's no compulsion in religion. Or we say that la ikraha fi applies to all of them. However, it's a statement that nobody can force you to choose a particular religion and nobody is forced to choose Islam. Nor is anyone forced to remain in Islam. But the punishment for apostasy is a punishment which is had from the Hudud of Allah It's a prescribed punishment from the prescribed punishments. So nobody is forcing you to accept it or not to accept it, but there is a prescribed punishment for those people who don't. That is one way. Uh, with regard to fight the people until they say La ilaha illallah. In this, most of the scholars say that if the opportunity is given for da'wah, then there is no need to fight against the people. And that fighting against the people is to fight against those people who prevent the da'wah from taking place. I.e., those uh, countries or those uh, people who stop the da'wah from taking place, and they prevent the Muslim, their people, their own people from hearing the message of Islam, they are the ones that are deserving to be fought. As for those who are not preventing the da'wah, nor are they stopping their own people from becoming Muslim, then those people, there is no need to fight them. Because the people will accept Islam through da'wah. And this is usually the explanation. But there are probably other things. I mean, this is a question that probably needs some uh, research in order to sort of tidy up the answer a little bit. But these are some of the different answers in terms of uh, la ikrah But in my opinion, the strongest of them is to say that la ikrah doesn't contradict either of those two things. Because la ikrah means that you cannot force a person to become Muslim. And not in battle. Nor... In apostasy, is anyone forced to become Muslim? Is anyone put a sword to their neck and say, become Muslim? No, none of of this happens. The fighting is against those people who prevent the da'wah from taking place until they allow it to take place. And even when it takes place, and the Muslim army conquers the other army, the Muslim army does not forcibly convert all of the people that they conquered to Islam. They give them the option of the jizya or the option of... Uh, you know, they're enslaved, or whatever it may be, but they're not given, they're not forced to convert to Islam. So there's never a case where a person is forced to convert to Islam, and said that, if you do not convert to Islam, now I'm going to kill you. No, at the end of the day, even in the army, they were given three choices. Accept Islam, or pay the jizya, or fight. And they were not given the option of, you know, if you don't, uh, to forcibly convert them to Islam. And even when they were conquered, they were still not forcibly converted to Islam. So entering into Islam is something that has to be from your own free will. And of course, leaving Islam is something that is done of a person's own free will. And there is a had from the hudud of Allah. But this had that is from the hudud of Allah, is, uh, it doesn't stop a person making their own choice. Just like you make a choice to speed on the road, or you make a choice to... You know, to go through a red traffic light, at the end of the day, you have the choice to do that, but when you do it, you're aware there's a punishment for doing so. And I think that neither of these two things contradict the ayah La Ikraha Fiddeen. And there are some of the scholars who said La Ikraha Fiddeen is abrogated by the ayah Inna Dina Indalahil Islam. But I think this is not a very strong opinion, and Allah Azza wa Jal knows best. Is there a question from the sister's side? Asalaamu Alaikum. We were speaking earlier about Zakat, and I had a question about whether it's allowed that someone else pays zakat on your behalf? Like, for example, you've got a lot of jewelry, and your dad says, don't worry, I paid your zakat for you. Or your father-in-law says, oh, it's okay, I took care of zakat for the whole family. Is that allowed? Okay. Uh, if the, uh, the, the, the basic principle is that the zakat comes from the wealth of the, 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 the person, However, if somebody takes care of that wealth on their behalf, I don't think there's a problem with that. I mean, uh, it's the same as if they give them a gift, and then that person took the gift and used it to pay their zakah. Inshallah, there's no... uh, If somebody pays it, as long as it's paid, and it's paid with the intention of being from that person's wealth. But the concern I would have about this is only when the person says it without really knowing. Like, I've paid zakah on your behalf, but did you know how much zakah I had to pay? Did you know what the zakah was? Did you know when the year was up? That's a concern. If people are sort of you know, it's just a flippant sort of reply that, yeah, yeah, I've paid your zakah, i pay everybody's zakah. But if somebody, if you say, look, I have, uh, you know, hundred pounds of zakah to pay or a thousand pounds of zakah to pay, and then uh, the somebody comes, for example, a sister's husband or father comes and says, I've paid that zakah, I'm going to take I'll pay it on your behalf. And uh, inshallah ta'ala, as long as that is uh, taken into account in the zakah calculation, there shouldn't be a problem. There's a question from the brother's side. Assalamu alaikum Assalamu uh, alaikum A concept we touched in chapter 16 uh, It was regarding the three levels uh, And uh, It was like uh, With relation to no person believed There were three levels The first was the person doesn't have iman Completely Second was the falling uh, Below the obligatory The third one I didn't understand The third one is to do with the voluntary deeds So falling, you know, like below perfection Because perfection is doing everything that Allah told you to do And doing everything that Allah recommended you to do So it's falling below the state of perfection As in not doing all of the voluntary deeds Not, uh, you know, maybe not, uh, for example, praying qiyamul layl Not praying two rak'ah after Dhuhr This is what we're talking about, you know, like falling short of perfection I've got quite a lot of questions uh, over here to deal with Um, This is to do with uh, a group of people who have um, done some research into the Qur'an um, and they've come up with some conclusions that don't appear to be normal conclusions. And that's usually because they are uh, making their, their decisions based on Hawa, based on their desires and based on their opinions and not based on the understanding of the scholars of Islam. Uh, when the angels prostrate to Adam They did not prostrate to him But to this, the Ruh of Allah Which Allah blew into Adam To make him alive The answer against this is that Ruhullah does not mean Allah's soul It means a soul that was created by Allah And that's well established in the books of Hadith And the commentaries of Hadith So I don't have the time to be answer them in detail But I'm just going to quick fire them So Ruhullah does not mean Allah's soul But it means a created soul of Allah Azza um, And as for the prostration, it is not a prostration of worship, but it's a prostration of greeting or honor, uh, like you would bow to a king or to a president. Of course, you wouldn't in Islam, but like a, per- a person would. And this was allowed in some of the, some of the previous uh, Sharia. Jibreel is something different from the other angels because of the mention of Jibreel separate to the angels. This is just Jahil in the Arabic language. Because in the Arabic language, you can mention Something is part of a wider group. Uh, and if we applied this in the Quran, we would come to all sorts of conclusions. For example, Allah says, Man kana Lillahi wa malaikatihi wa rusulihi wa Jibril wa mikal. Fainna Allah lil kafiri. Whoever is an enemy to Allah and His angels and His messengers and jibreel and mikal. First of all, if they said this about jibreel, why don't they say about mikal? Second of all, if they said that Jibreel is not, a, is not an angel, then you must also say Jibreel is not a messenger Because Allah said angels and messengers So that means Jibreel was neither a messenger nor was he an angel And this is something nobody in Islam has ever said before So this is an answer to this uh, Did Isa ascend to the heaven alive, body and soul? That is what the understanding of the hadith is, that he did not die and that he ascended to heaven and that Allah Azza wa will uh, send him back to the earth uh, before the Day of Judgment. Uh, all the books are only one book, and they are not uh, all separate. What is the meaning of "kutub" then, in that case? "kutub" is a plural. A'n wa malāikatihi wa is a plural, so there can't just be one book. And the meaning of laysal birr. Uh, but this is also Jahil in the Arabic language Because the meaning of al-kitab here is ismul jins I.e. all of the books that can be said to be a book And this is just ignorance in the Arabic language So these sound like people who don't know any words of Arabic But they are twisting the meanings of the Quran Based on not knowing any Arabic at all Um, And uh, uh, they have all touched upon the pillars of Iman um, (coughs) Except for the Day of Judgment Um, Where do you place these people? Mu'tazila, Ahlul sunnah Very simple, Ahlul sunnah upon the truth And everybody else is upon falsehood The Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam said That the Jews will break into 71 sects And the Christians will break into 72 sects And my Ummah will break into 73 sects all of them are in the hellfire except one. And that is those who, and in some of the wordings, they are the Jama'ah. They are the ones who me and my companions are upon. There is, no, there is only one group upon the truth. There are not hundreds of groups upon the truth, or 20 groups upon the truth, or even two groups upon the truth. There is only one. And those are the people of the Sunnah and the Jama'ah. And they are the people who are upon what the companions of the Messenger of Allah وسلم, عنهم, were upon. Um, in terms of the, the other questions, I think these are best dealt with privately um, in terms of the, the position of this individual and, and what advice we would give. But the main thing is that a lot of these seem to come from two things. And these, I think, the reason I think there's a benefit in answering these is that they come from two things. They come from not having any knowledge, but trying to interpret the Quran anyway without knowledge. And they come from opinions that nobody before you held. And whenever you hold an opinion that nobody before you held, you know you're in trouble. For every opinion you held, you have to point back and say, you know what it is? There's somebody before me who held this opinion. From the, the people of the sunnah, from the imams of Islam. As long as you can have somebody that held that opinion, at least you know that you are you know, broadly within, you know, within the realm of Islam. But when you come up with an opinion that nobody ever held, that Jibril is not an angel... And this has not been held by anybody, Then this is just completely new, you know. And that is something that really would cause a real problem to a person. And yes, there's no doubt that some of these beliefs are kufr, without a shadow of a doubt. Um, But the person needs to be explained, and they need to be sat down with the people of knowledge. And I would not make a takfir upon a person until they are sat down with the people of knowledge, and they have some chance to sit down and understand why it's wrong, and understand why it's wrong to interpret the Qur'an according to your um you know according to your desires and so on and so forth um, as for whether they are closer to being from a different group or this group uh, at the end of the day this is like a whole new set of opinions you know i don't think this even goes under the opinion of even the mu'tazila or even you know the the mutakallimun this is just something that is you know different completely and that's the thing with Ahlul is that they, their opinions become different and they become subsects and then they become another sect and this is how things change, but it all comes from having opinions that are not based in Islam. Sorry, my question is about the nasiha, sincerity. My family member or a close friend are carrying with me, and every time they just say they wouldn't use it, and they bring it for other family members also, just to say that you're passing exams and all this. Mm. And it bothers me, I do travel very little, or I do get a very little chance to see them, but whenever I go, it upsets me and I abandon or I don't know what to do, sometimes. I really get upset that I can't do anything about it. Okay, I think there are two two things you need to do. Uh, the first is you need to get the knowledge in order to be able to clarify that what they're doing is wrong. And that's a principle that you have to have. You can't clarify to someone, and what did we say about if you can't forbid it with your hand, forbid it with your tongue? That that is the position of the scholars. And there's a reason we said that, because if you don't know all of the rulings and all of the evidences for it, what are you going to go and say to them? You're going to go and say to them, it's haram, they're going to go say it's halal. You're going to say, no, it's haram because Muhammad Tim said so. They're going to say it's halal because, you know, Sheikh so-and-so said something different. And it's not going to get anywhere, so we need to have evidence, we need to have a hadith, we need to have, you know, a knowledge of that. So you build up the knowledge of that. And when you have the knowledge of that, you give it to them. You know, you explain it to them in the best possible way, but you give it to them. You don't have to worry. A lot of times, people are far too worried about a person being guided. Your job is not to guide anybody. Your job is just to give them the message. You don't need to worry about whether they accept it or they don't accept it. Do your best for them to accept. Do everything you can for that they, that they accept your your advice. But once you've given them that advice, and they haven't accepted uh, that advice, then at the end of the day, you did your job, and that's all you had to do. The Prophet ﷺ gave advice to people, sometimes they accepted it, sometimes they rejected him. And it doesn't matter at the end of the day, your job is to give the message. So, the first thing would be you need to learn because you can't forbid an evil unless you know the rulings of it and the hadith of it. And the next thing, really more than that, would be that you know, for, for a person to realize that they don't, it's not your job to guide somebody. Your job is just to give it the message you know, And it would be a big crime For you not to do that For you just to ignore them And let them carry on in their misguidance You can't do that You have to give the message to them But you give the message to them In the best possible way And that is your job done Yes, you will repeat it You will keep telling them And maybe they'll be guided And maybe they won't And inshallah they will But at the end of the day That's your job And nothing more than that Otherwise You will become like Allah I said uh, uh, In the beginning of Surah Al-Kahf that perhaps you would be, you know, you're you 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 you're about to, you know, you would almost kill yourself out of the out of the fact that they will not become believers, and they will not accept what it is that you're saying. No, you know, Subhanallah, you know that you're in a state where Allah advised the Prophet against this. That don't don't worry about them. It's not your job. You give the message and you know, yes, you have to be keen. You're trying every different way for them to accept it. But at the end of the day, if they don't accept it, they don't accept it. The main thing is that you gave them the message and they don't have anything against you on the Day of Judgment that they can say, we didn't know anything about this. Um, And you gave it to them in the best possible way. And maybe if you don't feel you can give it, then maybe, inshallah, you can direct that to somebody else who can Say, maybe you know, you could direct them to a video on YouTube or direct them to an article or direct them to somebody who they could speak to just to get that information. If you feel I'm not quite there, that I can present it in a good way, then maybe you can direct them to somebody, inshallah, who can. But one way or another, they need to have the message, inshallah. There's one question over here with the brothers. As Salaamu Alaikum Warahmatullahi Wabarakatuh. I want to check what the status of Muslims who choose to marry non Muslims. Muslims who choose to marry non-Muslims, especially when they are not from Ahle Kitab, and how to deal with them, especially if they are are from our own blood relationship. Okay. As for, just to clarify for everybody, just so that everyone's on the same page, and the brother explained it already, but I'm going to just make sure everyone is clear. Uh, In terms of marriage to non-Muslims, every kind of marriage to non-Muslims is haram except for one and that is the marriage of a Muslim man to a Kitabi woman, i.e. a Muslim man to a Jewish or Christian woman. And there is some uh, disagreement amongst uh, how practicing they have to be, and particularly there's a disagreement among the scholars about whether chastity is a condition for marriage, or whether chastity is simply uh, a command, as in you're sinful if she's not chaste, or whether you actually can't marry her unless she is. But one way or the other, we know that there is a potential for a Muslim man to marry a Kitabi woman. However, if he was to do so, I personally uh, would never ever recommend uh, this to be done, ever. Strongly, strongly recommend against it. And that is because we are living in a time where uh, it is almost impossible for that person to preserve their religion, and the religion of their children, legally, under any framework. You know, you're living in in overwhelming countries in the world, where that lady has just as much right to the religion of the children, to the upbringing of the children, to the custody of the children, as the man has. And that is something that is going to lead to the children abandoning Islam, and it's going to potentially lead to even the person abandoning Islam. So I strongly, strongly dislike that a man would marry a, a a Jewish or Christian woman in the current climate, the current legal climate. Now, I don't know what it's like here in Dubai, whether or not they preserve the rights of the Muslims in this regard, and I hope they do. But I know in the UK that it, it isn't the case. In the UK, if he marries her, she has every right and he has none, you know, at the end of the day. And she can literally bring the children up as Christian, he can't do anything about it. She can leave him and take half his wealth and all the kids And he can't do anything about it So at the end of the day this is something that I don't recommend at all However the question was Regarding marrying someone who is not from Ahl Kitab Or a Muslim woman marrying someone who is not a Muslim Uh, And this no doubt is a sin There is no doubt that it is a major sin Because effectively it is a kind of zina Because every marriage that is not sanctioned by Islam Is either a zina or shubha. Nikah shubha is a marriage where the person thinks it's valid, but it's actually not, and it's very close to zina. And the other one is a marriage where the person knows it's not valid. And at the end of the day, they're marrying a non-Muslim. I think most Muslims know that this is not valid. So you know, at the end of the day, it becomes zina. And so you know, one way or the other, they need to be uh, reminded. They need to be given advice. They need to be shown the proof, the ayat and the hadith. They need to um, be spoken to gently. I mean, at the end of the day, you're not—I presume—we're not talking about a country where it's illegal to do so. We're talking about a country where there's nothing; they haven't done anything wrong legally, so you have no legal claim against them. You have no—you can't, you know—tell the court, you can't tell the police because what they've done, let's say in the UK, it's not illegal, but in Islam, it's illegal. So, at the end of the day, they need to be advised. As for their status, they're the same as every other sinner among the Muslims who does the major sins. If Allah Azza wa wills, He will forgive them. If Allah Taala wills, He will punish them. They're deserving of punishment. And if they're from the people of Tawheed, they will not remain in the hellfire forever. Uh, And that is the same for every single major sin. And so they need some sincere advice. They need proof. And the same thing I said to the sister applies to the brother. The same thing exactly. Learn the proofs uh, and uh, try to explain to them in the best possible way. And your job is to give the message and nothing more than that. Uh, that was the last question and we will continue with the explanation of the book. Bismillah ar-Rahman rahim Alhamdulillahi rabbil alameen. Wa salatu wa salam ala nabiyyina Muhammadin wa ala alihi wa ashabihi ajma'in. Chapter 28, clarifying the words of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa insulting a Muslim is an evil action and fighting him is kufr. It's narrated on the authority of Abdullah ibn Mas'ud, the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said, abusing a Muslim is defiant disobedience, and fighting against him is kufr. Zubayd asked, I asked Abu Wa'il, did you hear it from Abdullah narrating from the Messenger of Allah, sallallahu alayhi wa He replied, yes, but there is some mention of the talk between uh, Zubayd and Abu Wa'il in the hadith narrated by Shu'ba. Again, these are all hadith things that I don't want to trouble you with at this time too much. Uh, but the hadith, there is no problem with this hadith. Uh, the hadith is authentic and there is no issue with it. Um, however, I think we've explained this already—that there is a very strong evidence, uh, clearly mentioned in the Quran, that fighting against a Muslim does not take you outside of Islam. And that is something that is very, uh, you know, very clear. We've explained it before the break in detail, and I think that was that is probably enough. Inshallah, just to remind you, the ayah in Surah Al-Hujurat, that if two groups of the believers fight against each other, then Make peace between them And then if one of them transgresses against the other By continuing to fight Then fight against the one who transgresses Until they return to the command of Allah And Allah commanded them both as believers And there's no issue here So this disbelief is not the disbelief that takes you Outside of uh, the religion of Islam As for uh, Fisq or Fusuk Fusuk Is an act of defiance or an act of disobedience It basically means to go outside of obedience to Allah So insulting a Muslim or abusing a Muslim Is outside of obedience to Allah It's a sin, it's sinful Uh, And as for the statement that uh, fighting him is disbelief There are again a number of Uh, Opinions with regard to this And we'll mention them again Just to make it nice and clear for you Number one That it is similar to disbelief That it's similar to disbelief What do we mean similar to disbelief? In the sense that When you kill a Muslim on a battlefield Who would you expect to be the one Killing a Muslim on a battlefield? A non-Muslim And so you've done an action That you would only expect from a non-Muslim It doesn't take you outside of Islam But it is an action you would not expect from a Muslim. It's similar to what non-Muslims do. That's the first opinion. Uh, The second one is that it leads to disbelief. So we've heard that one before, that if you continue down this road, it will lead you to disbelief. The third one is for the one who thinks it's permissible. The one who thinks it's permissible is a disbeliever, because they believe it's permissible to kill who Allah said it's not permissible to kill. The fourth one is that it is uh, rejection of the blessings of Allah Because we said that kufr can mean rejection and it can mean disbelief What, what do we mean rejection of the blessings here? That Allah Jalla has blessed you with the brotherhood of Islam And you are rejecting the blessings of Allah By fighting against that brotherhood that Allah Subh'anaHu Wa Taala uh, has given you And the fifth is that it is an exaggeration Or an emphasis by exaggeration, we don't mean a negative exaggeration, but we mean an extremely strong emphasis That it's not meant that it's actually kufr, but it's so bad that it's like, as almost as though you have committed kufr You know, so it's this extreme emphasis, strong emphasis So we have five opinions as to what it's for Number one, that it's similar to disbelief Number two, that it leads to disbelief Number three, that it's disbelief for the one who thinks it's permissible Number four, that it's a rejection of the blessing of brotherhood in Islam And number five, that this is an exaggeration or an emphasis That is intended to to hammer home the severity of fighting against the Muslims And in any case, there is ijma' and consensus That it isn't the type of kufr that takes you outside of Islam So again... Uh, I want you to be aware, and, and I really want to hammer this home because we don't have a lot of time, but you know, this is really important. There is consensus among all of the scholars that the disbelief here is not the disbelief that takes you outside of Islam. The disagreement is, how do we explain it then? Is it because it's similar? Is it because it leads to it? Is it for the one that makes it permissible? Is it rejection of blessings? Is it an exaggeration? One way or the other, they're agreed that fighting against a Muslim is not disbelief. So, you understand there is an agreement there and you understand that uh, the disagreement is not a disagreement in in what kind of kufr it is It's a disagreement on how we explain the phrase kufr Clarifying the meaning of the statement of the Prophet Do not revert to disbelief after I am gone, striking the necks of one another on the authority of Jarir ibn Abdillah عنهما, that the Prophet was asked on the occasion of the farewell pilgrimage to make the people silent or asked him to make the people silent and then said, do not return to disbelief after me by striking the necks of others. And in the final narration here, woe to you, distress to you, do not turn back as disbelievers after me, striking the necks of one another. The same thing we say about this uh, Return as disbelievers, for me here, the most correct opinion is that it is showing the similarity Do not return as though you were disbelievers And for me this is, the, this is clearly uh, the more correct of the, of the five that were mentioned last time Is that in this one it's to do with similarity Do not return as though you were disbelievers striking the necks of one another Because in the time of Jahiliyyah, what used to happen? The Sahaba used to fight against each other when they were in the, time of, uh, in the time of Jahili, in the time of before Islam. The Ansar used to fight among one another. The Quraysh used to fight among one another. Islam brought them together. Do not return as though you were disbelievers. To the time when you were disbelievers, the actions of the people who were disbelievers striking the necks of one another. Chapter 30, using the word kufr with regard to slandering people's lineage and wailing It is narrated on the authority of Abu Huraira that the Prophet said Two things are found among men which are tantamount to disbelief Slandering one's lineage and wailing over the dead Again, this is most likely, this particular thing I think is most likely to be rejection of blessings You can see that all of them fall within the five that we mentioned. They all fall within the same five, but sometimes one of them appears to be more sort of correct than the others. This one to me is rejection of the blessings, because when you're slandering uh, someone's lineage, you're rejecting the blessings of having, uh, of, the, of that lineage that they've been given, and wailing over the dead, or that it's similar to the actions of the people of disbelief. That's also true because. Prior to Islam, one of the major features of the society Is they used to slander people's lineage And they used to wail over the dead So either because it's similar to the actions of the people of disbelief Or it is rejection of the blessings of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Both of them are valid and both of them are true But one thing we know for sure is that it's not disbelief that takes you outside of Islam Calling the fugitive slave a kafir it is narrated on the authority of Jarir عنه, that he heard the Prophet Sallallahu say The slave who fled from his master committed an act of kufr as long as he does not return to him Mansur said, by Allah this hadith was narrated from the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam but I do not like that this should be narrated on my authority here in Basra And it's narrated on the authority of Jarir that the Prophet Sallallahu said The slave who fled from his master Responsibility with regard to him was absolved And Jarir ibn Abdillah reported it from the Prophet وسلم, When the slave runs away from his master His prayer is not accepted As for the first here, Then there's no doubt that the act of kufr Is kufr al-ni'mah Is the rejection Of the blessing Because this person is providing their income This person is uh, Supporting them, is providing them with clothing And so on and so forth and yes, they have the ability to earn their freedom, and I don't really want to get into the whole topic of slavery because it's a very long topic and we, we're just going to get derailed in the time that we have to finish the, the work. So uh, I would direct you to a website called talktoislam.com. Um, this is a website that I've been able to contribute some articles to, and it has articles of difficult questions that non-Muslims ask about Islam. And they need an answer for, and there's a full discussion of slavery and what slavery is and what slavery isn't, and stuff like that. And you can refer to that, inshallah. But basically, here you have a rejection of blessings, or you have something that is similar to the way of the disbelievers, and so on and so forth. As for the word his prayer is not accepted, the meaning of this is that the acceptance of the prayer is actually two things the removal of the obligation or the removal of the burden. So, let's say the removal of the burden, and the reward. So your prayer being accepted is two things Removing the burden of praying As in you have prayed Then you don't have the fard You've done the fard And your prayer getting reward Let's say you pray and you don't concentrate at all And it is as though you didn't pray at all You've removed the burden, because you've stood for the prayer You've removed the burden of the prayer You are considered to be someone who prays Even if you pray badly But you're considered to be a person who prays as long as your prayer is not so bad That it misses the conditions of Islam like the the hadith of the one who prayed badly This hadith uh, Al Musi'u Salatihi This uh, hadith is regarding a person who prays so badly That they are missing the basic conditions of the prayer but you pray, you know, you pray your prayer, but your mind is somewhere else. In this case, you've prayed. The burden is removed, but you didn't get any reward for your prayer at all. Your prayer had no reward, but it removed the burden. Likewise, the one who drinks alcohol, they remove the burden of the prayer, but their prayer is not accepted. Likewise, the one who goes to the fortune teller or reads their horoscopes, they re- the burden of the prayer is removed when they pray, but they have no reward for their prayer. Likewise, the slave that frees from their master, they pray and they're considered that their prayer is... They have, you know, The father is removed from them, the burden is removed from them, but they have no reward for the prayer. And not that they are considered to be someone who doesn't pray at all. We now come on to chapter 32, clarifying the disbelief of the one who says, We got rain because of the stars. It's narrated on the authority of Zayd ibn Khalid al-Juhani That the Messenger of Allah Sallallahu Led the morning prayer at Hudaybiyah There were some marks of the rainfall during the night At the conclusion of the prayer he turned to the people and said Do you know what your Lord has said? They said Allah and His Messenger know best Upon this the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi remarked He said some of my slaves entered the morning as my believer, As believers in me and some as disbelievers the one who said, we have had rainfall due to the blessing of Allah and his mercy is a believer in me and a disbeliever in the stars. And the one who says, we have had rainfall due to the rising of such and such a star disbelieved in me and affirmed his faith in the stars. And on the authority of Abu that the Prophet ﷺ said, don't you know what your Lord has said? He said that I have never uh, endowed my servant with a favor but a section of among them disbelieved and said it was due to the stars. The kufr here is dependent upon the belief of the person If the person believes that the stars themselves provided rain or provided some good or some harm Then this is kufr akbar, that takes a person outside of Islam completely And they have no Islam remaining However, if someone believes that Allah has made the star a reason for the rain to fall. Do you see the difference between the two? In the first one, the star is the, the cause of the rain. Said, No, Allah has made the star a reason for the rain to fall. Then this person is guilty of a major sin and they're guilty of attributing or ascribing something to Allah that they don't know, but they're not guilty of disbelief. If they claim that Allah جل, caused the rain, who sent down the rain? Allah. Because whenever Allah has made it that When this star rises, it rains Then this person uh, is guilty of a major sin Because they're guilty of speaking about Allah without knowledge And they're guilty of attributing something to Allah that is not true And they're guilty of making a reason or a cause for something that isn't true But uh, the one, there's no doubt The one who says that the stars have an influence on what we do Then this person is not a Muslim and that includes the one who believes in the horoscopes and the one who reads fortunes and futures in the stars. They're not a Muslim. And even the first case, there are, there are some serious doubts over a person's Islam, even when they make it a cause by Allah. Because Sheikh Ibn Khaymin said someone might make something a cause and commit shirk in it. Uh, and uh, so even in the first case, it may not be that the person remains a Muslim, but and it, there's at least a possibility. But in the second case, there's you know in, in the case of the person who... Uh, who, or in the case of the person who says that the stars are the cause of the rain Or the stars are the ones who affect our lives Then this person is not a Muslim And this is Kufur Akbar that takes a person outside of the religion of Islam Evidence that the love of Ansar and Ali radiallahu an Is a part of Iman and a sign of it And that hating them is a sign of hypocrisy it's reported on the authority of Anas that the Prophet, the Messenger of Allah وسلم, said, A sign of the hypocrite is a hatred of the ansar, and a sign of a believer is the love of the ansar. And it's narrated on the authority of Anas that the Messenger وسلم, said, The love of the ansar is a sign of faith, and hatred of them uh, is a sign of dissemblance. Probably what they're trying to do is pick a word that doesn't make a person a, mu- a, pro- a full munafiq, you know, like that's the, a bit of like. Uh, probably the translator is trying to go down that route um, With regard to this And again because of the time We're trying to, to focus on the issue at hand here And the issue of Iman There's no doubt that loving the Sahaba Is a major sign of Iman And a major sign of a person upon the Sunnah Is their love of the Sahaba All of the Sahaba Without making any difference between them So if you see a person who loves Ali رضي الله عنه, And he loves Muawiyah رضي الله عنه, and he loves Abu Bakr, and Umar, and Uthman And he loves the Ansar, and he loves the Muhajireen And he doesn't make any distinction between them Except in those things that Allah Jalla distinguished them in And the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi distinguished them in Like the ten who were promised paradise And like Abu Bakr being the best of them And Umar being the best after them And Uthman after them, and Ali after them Then at the end of the day this is the Sunnah And it's a sign of a person who is upon the Sunnah And a sign of a person of innovation is that they hate one or more of the companions And there's no doubt about this. This is something that is well uh, witnessed in society. And that even among all of the groups, you'll be surprised, even among the groups that are not known for hatred of the companions, you will still find hatred of the companions. However, with regard to nifaq, uh, true nifaq, true nifaq or absolute disbelief uh, happens in one of two cases with regard to the companions. So disbelief, which which takes you outside of Islam, happens in two cases. First of all, attacking all of the companions, such as the statement that all of the companions are disbelievers, or that all of the companions disbelieved except five. So attacking all of the companions as a whole. Or attacking a companion in something that the Qur'an and the Sunnah affirm them to be free of, like accusing Aisha of adultery These are things that, this is disbelief not because of attacking an individual companion But because it contains disbelief in the ayat of Allah And disbelief in the ahadith of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam As for having a dislike of one or more of the companions Without declaring them to be disbelievers And without disbelieving in the ayat Then this is a major sin And it's an innovation that was not known by the people of the sunnah but it doesn't take a person outside of Islam. For example, if a person says that uh, I disliked uh, one of the companions or that I preferred one of the companions over the other or that I don't believe that Abu Bakr has virtues and Umar has virtues. And in general, this may not take a person outside of Islam according to how severe it becomes. But as soon as somebody considers that all of the companions or or the majority of the companions were disbelievers and they attack the companions as a whole as opposed to an individual, or they attack the companions in that which is proven the opposite of in the hadith, such as accusing Aisha of adultery. Generally, accusing someone of adultery does not take you outside of Islam, even though it's from among the worst of the major sins. And the Prophet ﷺ considered it to be from the mubiqat, the sins that destroy you from beginning to end. To accuse a, a, a pious, chaste Muslim woman of uh, adultery is from the major sins that destroy a person's iman But at the end of the day, it still doesn't take you outside of Islam However, when you accuse Aisha of adultery عنها, You are effectively disbelieving in the ayat in Surah An-Nur and you're disbelieving in the hadith of the Prophet So accusing the companions in things that go against the hadith or involve disbelief in the hadith or accusing the institution of the companions, the group of the companions Uh, or a large group of them, then this is disbelief that takes you outside of Islam. And everything else is a hated innovation, which uh, takes a person far, far, far away from the sunnah of the Prophet ﷺ, and rather a sign of Iman, is loving the Ansar and loving the companions of the Prophet ﷺ, all of them, without making any hatred between them, and without mentioning the difficulties that some of them went through, or the problems that some of them went through. Then this is, from, uh, this is from a sign of a person's Iman But as for hating the companions Even hating one of them Is a sign of Nifaq But to take you out of Islam You have to either accuse them of disbelief Or you have to uh, accuse them of something That Allah Azza wa declared them to be free from Everything else uh, less than that is an innovation uh, And that is well known And Ahlul Sunnah sit between two groups They sit between the groups As uh, an imam Qahtani said in his Nuniya regarding Ali ibn Abi Talib and Then he said that, uh, that There are two groups with regard to Ali ibn Abi Talib uh, إحداهما لا خليفة وتنصه الأخرى إلهاً ثاني He said one of them is not happy with Ali as a khalifa And the other takes him as a god besides Allah and Ahlul Sunnah say in the middle Neither, uh, We are t- entirely happy with Ali ibn Abi Talib as an individual and as a khalifa and we do not worship him as a god besides Allah As for one group, the Nasibiyah the, or the, these are the people who hate Ali ibn Abi Talib and they hate the family of the Prophet ﷺ, and these people are innovators are far, far away from the Sunnah and likewise, those people from the Rafidah who uh, worship Ali ibn Abi Talib And who give him the power of Allah Azza wa And who take him as a God besides Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala Then these people likewise are upon a path of misguidance And at the end of the day Ahlul Sunnah stay in the middle We give the people of Ahlul Bayt their right We give them their status in the sight of Allah And we don't raise them to the stage of worship Besides Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala Chapter 34 Clarifying that faith decreases with shortcomings in obedience, and that the word kufr may be used with regard to matters other than disbelief in Allah, such as ingratitude for blessings and not fulfilling one's duties. It is narrated on the authority of Abdullah bin Umar that the Messenger of Allah (sallallahu alaihi wasallam) said, "O women, you should give charity and ask much forgiveness, for I saw you as the majority of the dwellers of Hell." A wise lady said among them Why is it, O Messenger of Allah That our women folk are the majority of the people in hell Upon this the Prophet ﷺ said You curse too much And you are ungrateful to your spouses Circle the word ungrateful here The word ungrateful uh, the, word, uh, the Prophet ﷺ, he said Takfurna ain kufr So he used the word kufr You do kufr to your spouse You don't worship your spouse, so how do you do kufr to your spouse? You reject the good that they do for you. I have seen none lacking in intellect. I'm not sure common sense is the right word. I'm not sure people... In intellect and failing in religion uh, and at the same time robbing the wisdom of the wise beside you. What does it mean, robbing the wisdom of the wise? As in that uh, despite these uh, deficiencies that the Prophet ﷺ mentions, uh, despite that, that uh, a man in full control of his uh, his faculties would still fall for a woman. And this is the meaning of this, that even though, you know, despite the fact that this woman may not respect all the things that he does for her, and she may not uh, be able to, uh, or she may at times curse him, or she may at times say bad things to him, he will still, despite the fact that he has all of that, you know, that he doesn't have that character. He's not the same. He would still end up, you know, doing things that he would not, that you know, doing things that would. Uh, what's the word? Uh, doing things that you would not imagine that a man would do for the sake of a woman. And you've seen what people do when they quote unquote fall in love, and the things that they, you know, Subhanallah, the uh, the strange things that people would do. And this is the meaning of this particular part of the hadith. Upon this, a woman said, "What is wrong with our intellect and our religion?" The Prophet ﷺ said, your lack of intellect is that the evidence, and I don't like this, can well be judged from the fact. I don't think that's reliable. I'm going to point that out in a minute. That the evidence of two women is equal to one man. This is, and again, there's so, much, so many bad points in this translation. In any case, this is the lack of intellect. And you spend some nights and days in which you do not offer prayer in the month of Ramadan, you do not observe the fast. And that is the failing in religion. And this hadith has been narrated on the authority of Abu Tahir with this chain of narrators. No doubt this hadith uh, requires a little bit of time to go over some of the points in. Um, and particularly because this hadith is commonly misunderstood and also it's commonly, uh, it commonly causes a problem. And I think that might be some way towards the translation, which is not great, I must admit. Um, And also to do with a lack of understanding about what the hadith is saying. The hadith is stating a simple fact. Let's ignore the the word lack of intelligence and lack of religion, let's ignore that for a second. The hadith is stating a simple fact. Fact number one, the witness of two women equals the witness of one man. Fact number two, women have a time in the month where they don't pray and a time in Ramadan where they don't fast. Those two are facts. That is all the Prophet Sallam said. He called the first one a deficiency in intellect and he called the second one a deficiency in religion. He didn't say that you have no religion, you're stupid, you don't know anything, you're jahil. He didn't say any of these things. He said that the fact of the matter is that there's a time in the month you don't pray and there's a time in Ramadan you don't fast. And that's a fact and that is a deficiency in religion i mean maybe deficiency is a bad word maybe the word in english makes people feel but that is that's something that is less than complete because if you don't fast the whole of ramadan then that's less than complete and if you don't fast the whole or pray the whole month especially because you don't make up the prayer then that's not complete it's it's something that's a fact it's not a matter of uh, it shouldn't be a matter of contention where people women say no we're not deficient in the religion you you have a time in the in the month you don't pray and that's a fact. And that's a deficiency. It's not, it's not it's not blameworthy. The Prophet ﷺ didn't say that you are to be blamed, or Allah made you like this because you're evil or anything like this. This is all just what the shaitan whispers in someone's ear and they add to it. You know, how can you say that I'm deficient because this means that I'm not good and this means that Allah doesn't love me, and this means No, Allah made you like that. Allah جل, made a person like that, just like if Allah Azza created you with any uh, deficiency. In any area of your creation, men and women, and we all have deficiencies in our creation, right? Men have deficiencies in their creation. Women have deficiencies in their creation. I mean, individual people. For example, somebody just can't do sums, you know. And somebody says, "Yeah, you have a deficiency in your intellect." No, how can you say no? The, you, you know, at the end of the day, you, you, this is how Allah Azzawajal created you. It's not something blameworthy, and it's not something to be sad about, and it's not something to be angry about. This is just a fact of how Allah Subhanahu wa Taala created you. And it is it is in the in the literal sense of the word something which is deficient. And that is up to Allah. Allah creates deficiency in people's characters. Maybe you get angry too quickly. Allah creates deficiency in people's bodies. Maybe you can't lift as much at the at the gym as somebody else. Allah creates deficiencies in people's intellect. You're not able to grasp things as quickly as other people. Allah creates deficiencies. Uh, in every aspect of people And that's up to Allah Allah creates whatever he wants, wherever he wants And there's nothing to blame in that And as for the evidence of two women being equal to one man That is something that Allah has decided And a woman isn't to come and say Or a man isn't to come and say Yeah, well, actually, you know, my wife is more reliable than me She may well be And I'm not saying for a second she isn't more reliable than you Or more trustworthy as a witness than you and I'm sure there are many brothers who are, Their wife's testimony would be more reliable than theirs I don't doubt that for a second But at the end of the day This is the law that Allah has revealed For a wisdom that remains with him And the wisdom is to do with intimidation It's not to do with being able to remember things It's to do with intimidation And remember that not everything is like it used to, that it is today There were times in court Where women would be intimidated Into giving evidence Through physical intimidation And by having and through psychological intimidation, by constantly being questioned and by basically being brought to tears by just, you know, the, the sort of prosecution lawyer type thing, just you know, basically breaking it down and and causing them emotional upset. So that Allah Azzawajal decreed that there be two women there, one of them to stay firm and remind the other and to help the other and to say, No, this is what we saw. And to and that is something Allah Azzawajal decreed. Does every woman need it? Probably not. But the reason that Allah decreed it is Allah decrees things across the whole of creation and for all time And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala doesn't say oh if the woman is strong enough she can give her own testimony And if she's a little bit softer then she has to have someone with her Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala decreed this as a mercy for our sisters in Islam As a mercy for our sisters in Islam At the end of the day we have this problem of each of us wanting to be better than the other And if you want an answer to this hadith there is nothing better than the ayah in, I think, Surah Al Nisa. This is your answer. Beautiful answer. Allah says, Do not seek that which Allah gives some of you over others. You know, there's a guy here saying, you know, I'm not from Quraysh. I'm not from Quraysh. How can I become from Quraysh? I need to be from Quraysh because the Prophet ﷺ said, Al Khilafat Quraysh. And the Prophet ﷺ said, The Quraysh are the best of the people. And he said that Allah took me from the best of the best of the best. Why am I not from Quraysh? You can't change it. You're not from Quraysh. You're not from Quraysh. And this is how Allah has made you. You can't change the fact that you're not from Quraysh. Stop trying to get something that Allah gave to somebody else. Men have a reward from what they earn And women have a reward from what they earn Allah Azza wa Jal When he made a time in the month That a woman doesn't pray Did he do that in order to make fun of the woman? Did he do that in order to make life difficult for the woman? In order for the woman to be from the hellfire? No He did that in order To have a mercy towards the women And not asking them to do something That is difficult enough at this time Without making it more difficult So it's a mercy from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala The Prophet mentioned a simple fact which is not really in a matter of debate. The way that it's put and maybe the way you understand it in English, maybe that is perhaps a little bit where it becomes a little bit harsh and where maybe people get a bit upset about things. But the fact of it is just a simple biological fact, it's nothing other than that. And the ayat in the Quran are very clear. Women have a chance to earn just like men have a chance to earn. And there will be many, many women above all of us on the Day of Judgment. How do I know this? Because the female companions, by guarantee, are better than every single person that came after them from the men and the women. And there's no disagreement in this, that the companions, each individual companion is better than every other person that came after the companions. That Bedouin who came and urinated in the masjid is better than Abu Hanifa, and Ahmed, and Malik, and a Shafi'i, by consensus. Every single one of the companions is better than everyone who came after them By the virtue of them seeing the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam So those female companions are going to be above you and I regardless of where we get to And so what is that they were also deficient in intellect and religion They also had a time in the month they didn't pray And it didn't stop them earning the highest place in Jannah It didn't stop Aisha earning a place with the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam And it didn't stop Khadija from earning a place with the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam so what's the problem? Except for the Shaytan who wants to put this mentality, this westernized, secular mentality into people. That you know, you two, men and women, are exactly equal in everything. And they want women to become like men and men to become like women. In fact, they will never be happy until the women dress and act like men and the men dress and act like women. Complete reversal. That's the only thing that will make these people happy. Until the women act like men and the men act like women. And that's why you see them definitely in the UK. We see them. Men are becoming more womanly. And women are becoming more manly. And that's something that we observe in, the, in, in Western Europe, in the US, that you see men and women are swapping completely. And this whole idea of everything is completely the same and everything. You know, subhanAllah, it's the strangest thing. Allah has created us with qualities. There are many things that our sisters in Islam can do that wallahi, you can't do. Have you ever tried doing two things at once? Have you ever tried cooking and looking after the kids? Yeah, try it. Try, just simply, try and boil an egg and look after the children at the same time. I guarantee 90% of the men in this room could not possibly boil an egg while looking after one child. You know, the, the kitchen's on fire, something's exploded, the kids have covered themselves in something. You can't do it. Allah has created people with different abilities. And Allah has created the women amongst themselves with different abilities. Some of them are stronger than others, some of them mentally, some of them physically stronger than others. Just like the men are physically and mentally stronger. You have, uh, you have in terms of lineage, women who have better lineage, women who don't. You have men who have better lineage, men who have don't. Don't seek to get something Allah gave somebody else. This is a lack of belief in Qadr. Allah has given you what He's given you. However, what is the important thing in this hadith, apart from the word kufr being used for something that isn't kufr? The important thing here is that there are two qualities that many women, negative qualities, that many women have that they need to try to reduce. And they need to try to make up for. And many women, and I don't say all women, but many, many women have uh, these qualities or these negative sides. Like men have, you know, men you might say, a lot of men have an anger problem. A lot of men have a problem of pride. You know, there are certain qualities that, that, there, that the Prophet's indicated that this is something that women need to be particularly careful about. And neither of them have anything to do with intellect or deed. One is cursing too much. Is being in the habit of invoking curses upon people, you know, too much And that's not so common these days, but the second one is perhaps more so But you have people invoking curses, you know May Allah curse them, may Allah destroy them And becoming too quick to do it And perhaps you would say to someone who's not guilty and it would come back upon you And likewise, being ungrateful to the husband And what this means is, this is explained in some other ahadith Is that she says, I've never seen any good from you And this happens People's wives say this. They say, You've never done anything good for me. You know, you're never there for me. You're never home for me. You never listen to me. The word never really doesn't mean never, does it? It doesn't really mean never in capital letters. What it means is that, you know, I've got upset and, you know, I'm now taking it out on you and I'm mentioning that you're not home enough. And so she says, You've never done anything good for me and you've never been there for me and you never listened to me. This is something to avoid because. Allah takes us all to account for what we say and maybe a person will be taken to account on the day of judgment and said your husband was good to you here, 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 here even if it was only twice he was good to you, but it's still not never, is it? Even if he was only good to you twice in his life but still that's twice that isn't mentioned in the statement you were never good to me and most likely he's been good to you for many days and many days but he just has had, you know, he's had his good days and his bad days so it's for a person to avoid making these general statements and that's true for men and women but the Prophet highlighted it because it's more common from women that they make these kind of statements about their husband than for the husband to say about his wife that, you know, you've never, ever done anything good for me because she'll soon start that, you know, what clothes are you wearing? I washed them, I ironed them. What food are you eating? I cooked it. You know, and so on and so forth. That's more difficult, but then it's maybe sometimes easier to say to the husband that you've never done anything uh, good for me. And at the end of the day, he, the, the situation is that he has. So we should avoid making statements that on the Day of Judgment we'll be taken to account for. And that applies to men and women. But the Prophet ﷺ highlighted it with regard to these particular two things uh, for with regard to the women. And there are two things that the sisters need to do in this regard. And indeed the brothers who have a similar problem. The first is to try to reduce the number of times that they make these statements. And to try to avoid making them in the first place. It's not to say, oh, this is part of my nature. You know, when you say, oh, I ne- you've never done anything good for me. This is just how Allah made me. No, you try your best to reduce it Anyone who has a negative quality And if you want a negative quality that's worse than that Allah Azza wa Jalla says وَحَمَلَهَا jahula." He called all of mankind extremely oppressive and extremely ignorant Allah described mankind as being extremely oppressive and extremely ignorant All of mankind So there are negative qualities in, in everybody so when you have a negative quality, you don't start oppressing people and say, well, Allah says, إِنَّهُ كَانَ So then I'm going to oppress everybody and I'm going to be ignorant. You try to remove that nature in yourself, remove that oppression and remove that ignorance. However, if you fall into it from time to time, the answer is to make tawbah and to give sadaqah in order to make up for these deficiencies that we all have in our character in one way or another. And this includes the virtue of sadaqah and the virtue of giving sadaqah in order to make up for some of the mistakes that all of us make in our lives. So inshallah this will have clarified this particular hadith. Chapter 35, clarifying the usage of the word kafir for the one who abandons the salah. On the authority of Abu that when the son of Adam recites the ayah of Sajdah and falls down in prostration. The shaytan goes into seclusion and weeps and says, Alas, and in the narration of Abu Quraib, Woe unto me, the son of Adam was commanded to prostrate, and he prostrated, and paradise was entitled for him, and I was commanded to prostrate, and I refused, and I am doomed to Jahannam. What is the evidence in this for the opinion that the one who abandons the prayer is kafir? I refuse to prostrate, and I am doomed to hell. So some of the scholars use this as an evidence that the one who refuses to prostrate to Allah in Salah because they're too lazy to do so or because they can't find it in themselves to do so, that they're not Muslim. And that is one of the evidences. And then Al-Amash narrated this hadith with the same uh, chain of narrators with the change of the words, I disobeyed and I'm doomed uh, to hell. Okay, but I refused and I was doomed to Jahannam. In the uh, authority of Jabir, that he heard the Prophet ﷺ say, "Indeed, between a man and between shirk and kufr is the is the leaving of the prayer. Negligence, I mean, is abandonment. I think is the word, is the right word. Indeed, between a man and between polytheism and disbelief is the abandonment of the prayer." It's been narrated on the authority of Abu Zubayr that he heard Jabir ibn Abdullah saying, I heard the Messenger of Allah, Sallallahu Alaihi say, between a man and polytheism and disbelief is abandonment of the prayer. The issue with regard to the prayer is an issue of ijma' and ikhtilaf. The issue with regard to the prayer is an issue of ijma' and ikhtilaf. Is an I.e. an issue where everyone is agreed and there is an issue where everyone disagrees. As for the one who says, I don't have to pray, or I don't see why I should pray, or there's no need for me to pray, or I don't have to pray, this person is kafir by consensus. Maliki, Shafi'i, Hanafi, Hanbali, all of them, he's kafir. The one who says, I don't have to pray, I don't need to pray, why should I bother praying, prayer is not for me, there's no disagreement in this. The disagreement is in the one who says, I have to pray, and I should pray, and I need to pray, but I can't find it in myself to pray. I want to pray, I have to pray, I should pray, but I, in myself, I, I'm too lazy, or I'm not finding it in myself to be able to pray. And according to this, the scholars split into two groups. The Hanafis, and the Shafi'is, and the Malikis and a group of the Hanabila said that this person is a Muslim, but they are the most disobedient of the Muslims. And in another narration from Imam Ahmed on the other side, that a group of the Hanabila said they are disbelievers. As for the group who said that they are disobedient, they disagreed over the punishment, with the Hanafis saying that the punishment is life imprisonment until they repent, and the Shafi'i and the Maliki and a group of the Hanbalis saying that the punishment is death, that it's a capital crime, but that the person dies a Muslim. So again, we've got two dis- we've got two groups. The, Hanba, the Hanafis and the Shafi'i and the Maliki And a group of the Hanabila said that they're Muslim Of them, the Shafi'i and the Maliki and the Hanbali said they're to be killed But as a Muslim And the Hanafi said they're to be given indefinite imprisonment Life imprisonment until they repent as for the Hanabila in the, in the narration of Imam Ahmed that was chosen by Sheikh Islam ibn Taymiyyah and others, uh, that is that they are disbelievers. And this is the one that is supported by the evidence from the Book of Allah and from the Sunnah of the Prophet wasallam in numerous ahadith in Bukhari and Muslim. And it was the opinion of the Sahaba ورضاهم, that the one who leaves the Salah is a disbeliever for whatever reason he leaves it. And so we say that the opinion of the minority, in this case, is the correct one. However,
1: even if you don't
0: agree with me, which I'm sure there are people in the room who don't agree with me, you say, okay, I don't agree with you. Just the fact that according to the overwhelming majority, it's a capital offence. Shafi'i, Maliki, Hanbali, all of them say it's a capital offence. And the fact that the lightest punishment in all of the madahib is life imprisonment, indefinite imprisonment, without any release until the person repents. Does that not show you how important the prayer is in Islam? And I'm saying to you that the ahadith in Bukhari and Muslim and the ahadith in the other books and the ayat of the Quran are enough of an evidence that the opinion of Aliman Ahmed is the correct one. And that the one who abandons the prayer of laziness is not a Muslim. And Allah Azzawajal knows best. But the point is, it doesn't really matter one way or the other. What matters is how severe it is to leave the prayer in Islam. Now, according to these two opinions, they disagreed over the meaning of kufr in the Hadith, because the word kufr for uh, Imam Ahmad in the Hadith is kufr. You know, it's, it, they they left Islam, and the word kufr for the others with regard to the Hadith is that they are doomed to hell for a limited time, or that they are uh, guilty of kufr. That is less than disbelief that takes you outside of Islam, uh, according to the previous ahadith. So again, I don't want to spend a great long, length of time on it, but we covered the main points, and we covered the fact that uh, there is a disagreement on this issue, but it doesn't really matter. What matters is how severe it is. It's a capital punishment. In the overwhelming opinion of the majority, it's a capital crime. In the opinion of Imam Ahmed, it's apostasy. In the opinion of everyone else, it's... it's uh, a matter of a capital crime That's so severe And remember this is only about the one that is too lazy As for the one who says I don't need to pray Or I don't want to pray Or why should I pray There's no khilaf Hanafi, Maliki, Shafi Everybody They all say the same thing That they're a disbeliever And it takes them outside of Islam So some of them here They use the word kufr and shirk As being less than disbelief Some of them said uh, kufr and shirk If they consider it to be permissible some of them said kufr and shirk if they, are, they don't want to pray And it's not kufr and shirk if they're too lazy to pray And so you can imagine how, the, how these ahadith were taken By the people who held the different opinions that they held But our main concern is the use of the word kufr And the relation of the prayer to the iman And the fact that if you're not praying uh, You're in a very, very, very severe state in terms of your level of Iman, and those who are not praying need to start praying بَيْنِ light. Chapter 36, clarifying that Iman in Allah the Most High is the best of deeds Abu Hurairah reported that the Messenger of Allah was asked about the best of deeds He said, belief in Allah He said, what next? The Prophet said, jihad in the cause of Allah He said, what next? The Prophet said, a Hajj that is accepted into the grace of the Lord. And in a tradition from Muhammad ibn Ja'far, the Prophet said, Belief in Allah and his Messenger ﷺ. And Abu Dhar reported that I said, The Messenger of Allah وسلم, which of the deeds is the best? He said, Belief in Allah and Jihad in His cause. I asked again, who is the slave whose emancipation, I freeing them is best? The Prophet said, the one who is valuable for his master and whose price is high. I said, if I can't afford to do it, the Prophet ﷺ said, "Uh, help an artisan or make anything for the unskilled labourer. And Abu Dhar said, O Messenger of Allah, you see that I am helpless in doing some of these deeds. The Prophet said, desist from doing mischief to the people. That is the charity of your person on your behalf. What I want to focus on in this is the clarification of Iman And that Iman contains action. And I want to focus on, again, the differences in which deed is best. If we go back to the previous hadith, and I don't know where it was exactly, but earlier on, we had a hadith about something else which is best. Who feed the people? Mm, And give the salam. Here we have other deeds which are considered to be the best. As we said, this is something that is simply there to show that different deeds are of different weights in Islam. As for which of them is best, it depends on the circumstances, and it depends on what the condition of the people is in, and whether or not you can do them. Abu Dhar made it very clear, and I, I want to emphasize to you because you will benefit a great deal from what Abu Dhar said. He said, O Messenger of Allah, you see that I am helpless in doing some of these deeds. Because as times come and go, there are parts of these deeds you cannot do. And we made it very, very clear yesterday, and we emphasize again today that the matters of fighting and the organizing of the army and the matters of all of these issues are the matters of the Muslim ruler and they're not for the ordinary people to do. And wallah, if the ordinary people did it, it would be haram. And they would cause a great corruption on the earth. And they have caused a great corruption on the earth. And you only have to look in the state of the Muslims to see the corruption that there has been caused on the earth. And if you were to read Kitab al-Imara and Kitab al-Jihad in Sahih Muslim, you would find these things very clearly in the hadith of the Prophet wasallam. that the Prophet wasallam was the one who organized the army. Abu Bakr was the one who organized the army after him. Umar, when Umar disagreed with Abu Bakr regarding the zakat, when Ibn Umar disagreed with, the two, or when Ibn Umar had the hadith of fighting them, did you see Ibn Umar go out with a sword on his own and start fighting the people who didn't give the zakat? This is a well-known issue that really, you know, there shouldn't be any debate about. These are matters that are the matter of the Muslim ruler to organize The army, the police, the judging, the courts, the punishments These are matters that are not in the hands of the ordinary people And Abu Dhar gave you a key to this There are some of these deeds or messenger of Allah I cannot do And that is the reality There are many deeds you can't do you know, I mean, maybe some of you can apply for the army. I don't know how the army works, but at the end of the day, you know, if you can't, you can't. You know? And if, if the army is not currently uh, you know, engaged in fighting because we're in a time of relative peace, then at the end of the day, the, those people in the army, what do they do? You know, they can't do it either. So this is a matter that we have to understand that there are different times for different deeds. And there are many other ahadith about which deeds are best. And again, the people who have a sickness in their heart and the people who want to corrupt al-ibadu wal-bilad, they want to destroy the, the situation of the community and destroy the countries that they live in, they use these ahadith and they say, look, the Prophet ﷺ said it is the best deed after belief in Allah. Tayb, where do you put the salah? Which is better? Where do you put the birr al walidayn Which is better? When the Prophet ﷺ was asked about a man going to battle and he said, are your parents alive? And he said, fafihima fajahid. Then go and do jihad for them. Where do you put that? You have to take all of the ahadith as a whole. And when you see people coming with this kind of hadith on its own and they're waving it around, like, I mean, alhamdulillah, you probably don't get it so much here, but in the UK we get it all the time. You know, and they come around, they're waving, look, the Prophet said it is the best of all the deeds after la ilaha illallah. Say, nobody is doubting the virtue again of the, those things which are permissible in Islam. But as for the people creating fawda and everyone just taking a sword in their hand and going out and you know, finding this person and that And this is not what Allah commanded you to do and it's not what the Prophet Sallallahu commanded you to do And this is what the people who the Prophet Sallallahu said about them Hudatha'ul asnan sufaha'ul ahlam They're young in the tooth and they're foolish in the brain The Prophet Sallallahu said about them Hudatha'ul asnan sufaha'ul ahlam these are people who are young in the tooth. Yani, they don't have any wisdom. They're not like people of wisdom. They're young kids. Sufaha. Yani, they're idiots. They're fools. Sufaha. In their brains. Their brains don't work properly. Because they think that they can correct something with something that Allah didn't give them permission to correct it with. So with regard to these deeds, we say that at the end of the day, the best of the deeds is the Iman in Allah and the other deeds... The best of the deeds after that is the salah. And the other deeds are according to the time and the place, and according to the need, and according to the circumstances. And there's no doubt that, you know, there are times when there's a famine. What would you do in a famine? Do you think in a famine it's better, you know, the guy comes with his sword attached to his back and he's got his chain and his armor on and he's riding on his horse? So, right, I'm here because the best of the deeds is jihad. See, the people are dying from food. Go and give the people the food Every time has its place And every situation has its circumstances And at the end of the day You need to do what is most appropriate To the circumstances you're in And like Abu Dhar said O Messenger of Allah You see I am helpless in doing some of these deeds Then desist in causing mischief for the people But how about the people who use And cause mischief to others Based on this hadith They use this very hadith of Abu Dhar To cause mischief to the people and that's the sign of a people who don't reflect. At the end of the day, your iman is what matters. And your deeds, and your salah. And then whatever Allah gives you the ability to do. If you're not rich, how are you going to feed the poor? And you're going to say, Khalas, you missed out on the best of deeds. You know, at the end of the day, you do what Allah has given you the ability to do. And all this proves, is it proves that the deeds in Islam are of different levels. Some are better than others, and some are possible to do it sometimes, and some are not possible To do at others And I think we clarified this yesterday in detail With regard to fight against them Until they say La ilaha illallah Chapter 37 Clarifying that shirk Is the worst of sins And the worst of sins after shirk Abdullah Reported When it says Abdullah reported Who is it? Do we have have اختلاف al-ulama (laughs) <laughs> the scholars have some disagreement like Abdullah ibn Mas'ud Abdullah in the hadith When it says Abdullah said Abdullah ibn Mas'ud I asked the messenger of Allah Sallallahu Which sin is worst in, Or gravest in the sight of Allah And I think in the sight of Allah Not in the eye of Allah Allah has eyes As Allah jal said Tajri tahta ayunina Allah has eyes but the, the word here is not the eye of Allah fi aynillah yani ind is the the hadith in arabic is ind in the sight of Allah or according to Allah now that's not to say that Allah doesn't have an eye because Allah has uh, Allah has eyes as Allah azza wa said tajri tahta a'yunina but uh, in regard to uh, this the, the word is the sight of Allah The Prophet said that you make a partner with Allah despite the fact that He created you And this is the greatest sin in Islam And this is what we call shirk And of course shirk is to give one or more of the rights of Allah to someone or something else That is the essence of shirk To give something that is only for Allah to someone else So if you look at the worship of Allah And you look at examples of worship Making dua, praying, sajda uh, Fear, hope, love If you give those to other than Allah Then you have committed shirk If you look at the right of Allah in his lordship That he is the lord, the creator, the sustainer, the provider If you make anyone else a creator or a sustainer or a provider or a lord Besides Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala Then likewise You're guilty of shirk If you look at the names and attributes of Allah If you give someone else Allah's name So you say He is Allah, He is Ar-Rahman Or you give someone else the attributes of Allah He can see me everywhere Or He can hear me everywhere Or He can touch me wherever I go Then this is shirk So for every type of Tawheed There is a type of shirk And shirk Is shirkun akbar and shirkun asghar. Major shirk and lesser shirk I don't, I don't like the word minor Maybe greater shirk and lesser shirk Is better than major and minor Because minor makes it sound insignificant It's like minor murder You know like You wouldn't say minor murder And I mean minor shirk it, 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 I understand people use it But maybe the right word is lesser yeah, I mean, It's of a lesser severity than that And uh, the lesser kind of shirk Is every kind of shirk That does not take you outside of Islam The lesser kind of shirk is every kind of shirk that does not take you outside of Islam. And that basically comprises a number of things. Uh, From that is riyah, showing off. But I want to explain something very important to you with regard to riyah and with regard to showing off. Uh, And that is that some people may fall into major shirk avoiding minor shirk. How might they do that? They turn around and they say, I don't pray anymore because I'm frightened of Riyah. Or I don't pray in the masjid because I'm frightened of Riyah. They've gone out of minor shirk into major shirk. They've gone out of Riyah and into full shirk because they've started to abandon their deeds for the sake of the people and abandon their worship for the sake of the people. The reporter said, uh, uh, indeed, it is grave. Or we have some other types of minor shirk as well, lesser shirk. So we have riya, we have uh, making an oath by other than Allah. And we have saying a statement of shirk when the statement is not intended. Uh, For example, ma Allahu wa shi'it. Whatever Allah wills and you will. Some of the companions used to say, out of respect to the Prophet ﷺ, Allahu ashita," whatever Allah wills and you will. And the Prophet ﷺ said, "Have you made me a partner with Allah? Say, Masha'Allahu ahta, whatever Allah wills alone. Don't make me a partner with Allah and say that it's up to Allah and me. It's like they're saying it's up to Allah and you. It's up to Allah and you. It's up to Allah and you. Whereas he would say, say it's up to Allah alone." So this was shirk, but again the Prophet did not consider them to be an apostate and he did not command them to give the shahada or anything like that. But they were rebuked for it and they were said that they have made a partner. Uh, and likewise, you know, uh, people make statements of shirk sort of inadvertently without realizing this is minor shirk rather than major shirk. And this is what we call a shirkul lafzhi. Spoken shirk, where you you, know, you, you, verbal shirk, where you say something but you don't mean it. You say it in in words, but you don't mean what it entails. And of course, minor or lesser shirk is uh, the worst of the, or among the worst of the major sins, if not the worst of them. And some of the scholars, when they said Allah does not forgive shirk, they said that Allah does not forgive any kind of shirk, whether it is the greater kind or the lesser kind. Um, However, if you repent from it in this world, of course you are forgiven. A major and minor or greater and lesser You're forgiven for both However, if you die Having committed greater or lesser shirk Allah will not forgive it And the lesser shirk will be punished With something less than eternity in hellfire And the major shirk will be punished with an eternity in hellfire And there's no way to escape either of those two punishments Because Allah says Allah Allah does not forgive that you make a partner with him However, uh, Allah جل, uh, forgives if the person uh, seeks forgiveness in this life because of the many ahadith in this regard and the many ayat. تاب Whoever makes tawbah, Allah accepts His tawbah. He said, Indeed, it is grave. The reporter said, I asked him what the next one was. The Prophet said that you kill your child out of fear that he would join you in food. The reporter said, I asked him next what the next gravest sin was. The Prophet said that you commit adultery with the wife of your neighbor. Again, there are many, many ahadith regarding the, the major sins. And I just want to take a few moments to talk about the major sins. The major sins are any sin which is described as being severe, or major, or the curse of Allah, or the punishment of Allah, or the hellfire, or he will not enter Jannah, anything in this regard is a major sin. And everything else is a minor sin. Any minor sin that you do frequently without repenting becomes major. Any minor sin that you do frequently without repenting becomes a major sin, uh, as long as you continue to do it and you don't care. And you know you're not repenting from it and you don't care about it, then this becomes a a major sin uh, The major sins As Ibn Abbas Radhiallahu anhuma said The number is closer To 70 than 7 As in there are not Seven major sins As the Christians uh, say But there are seven Mubiqat And the Mubiqat Are the destructive sins I.e. seven sins That are particularly destructive To a person's iman Seven sins That are particularly destructive But otherwise The major sins Are much greater in number as for the order of the major sins, again, much like the order of the good deeds, you find many, many, many variations. You know, you find many variations of what, which one is worse. And that's because, again, it depends on the circumstances of the person as to which is worse. But these particular two sins that I mentioned have a particular evil in them. Not just that you kill a person, but that you kill a child. Not that it's just that you kill a child But you kill a child because you are worried about your risk To kill your child out of a fear that he would join you in food And again, adultery is a bad enough sin But to commit adultery with your your neighbor's wife Is many times worse because it includes betrayal Of someone who is close to you It includes uh, removing the right of, or taking away from the right of the neighbor, that you take care of their uh, house and you take care of their family in their absence, and many other uh, evils. However, there are sins between these that are worse. For example, riba, or interest. The Prophet ﷺ said that riba is worse than 36 times committing zina. So there are, there are sins in between and we're going to hear about some of those sins And not all of them are, are the, the same So in the second uh, narration, uh, Allah Azza wa Jalla, it is mentioned the ayah Those who do not make another god along with Allah And they do not slay any soul which Allah has perv- per- forbidden except in the cause of justice And they do not commit fornication And whoever does that will meet the, r- the recompense of their sin." So as long as we understand that the, what the major sins are and what the minor sins are So the major sins are any sin which is described as being severe or major Any sin for which the punishment is the hellfire Or the curse of Allah or the anger of Allah Or the uh, you know, not being entered into paradise Or you will not smell the smell of Jannah Or any of these variations Anything which has that severe punishment Or that severe label attached to it Is a major sin Now, again, you're going to see uh, a number uh, of major sins on the following pages And I'm just going to point them out very briefly and very quickly You have, in the hadith number 158 You have making a partner with Allah Being disobedient to your parents False testimony or false utterance And the Prophet ﷺ repeated false testimony so many times That uh, and false uh, speech and which is lying and false testimony that we wish that he would become silent. In terms of disobedience to parents, of course, you have to be aware that that is only in what is not disobeying. Or or obedience to them is conditional upon you obeying Allah. So you can't. Your parent tell you to drink alcohol. You can't drink alcohol, even though that you know this uh, and use this hadith. Uh, Killing a person and making a false statement Uh, False statements and false testimony Uh, Likewise, uh, associating anything with Allah Magic, And magic we talked about in a lot of detail before And I know Abu Ibrahim has been to talk to you about that Uh, The killing of the one who Allah has declared inviolate without a just cause Uh, Consuming the property of the orphan Uh, Usury, which is riba Actually, usury isn't a very good word um, riba is another word you should translate just in Arabic, and I tell you why. Usury now has come to mean, in the English language, usury has come to mean extremely high interest. So if you look up the definition of usury in the, dis- in the dictionary, it says interest which is extremely high. So one percent a year or two percent a year would not be considered usury by uh, you know by the by the standards of the language now. And likewise, uh, interest. Is not the only kind of riba So it's neither interest nor is it usury But it's interest and usury And the other things that are mentioned in the sunnah Regarding it Turning back when the army advances i.e., Fleeing the battlefield is the meaning of that uh, And slandering Chast Muslim women Who are believers but unwary These are the seven mubiqat They call them the noxious things But they, they should be called destructive So if next to hadith number 161 You want to write destructive, you can they're the seven destructive sins. Mubiqat means muhlikat. They destroy you. Seven sins that destroy you from the bottom. Uh, then in chapter 39, we have uh, pride, which is described as being disdain for truth and contempt for people. So it's not pride is not having nice clothes, but pride is turning away from the truth and looking down on other people. Uh, you have pr- uh, more ahadith about pride. Then you have uh, to do with uh, associating anything with Allah The one who does not make a partner with Allah will enter paradise And the one who desires as a mushrik will enter the hellfire On chapter 41, you have the killing of the disbeliever uh, On the chapter 42, whoever bears weapons against us is not one of us We've already covered the statement, not one of us We've already covered the statement not one of us. But let me remind you that in, La- in not one of us, you have the same three, you have the same two extremes in the middle path. So, what do you think the Murji'ah said about not one of us? Uh, malicious gossip. Uh, with regard to malicious gossip, let's be clear: the difference between the different uh, sins. I want you to think about three sins on there. You can just make a little brief note. The first is backbiting. The second is slander. And the third is uh, malicious gossip. So, you know what backbiting is backbiting is that you say something behind, you say something in the absence of your brother that they would not like when it's true. And slander is when you say something about your brother that is not true. And we explained this yesterday. And malicious gossip you could read about in chapter 45, which is to do with spreading lies and rumors to make people hate one another. The emphatic prohibition. Look at what Imam an Nawi says. The emphatic prohibition of letting your garment hang below the ankles, reminding others of a gift, and selling goods... By means of a false oath And a mention of the three That Allah will not speak to them On the day of resurrection Nor will he look at them Nor will he purify them And theirs will be a painful torment So three of the major sins For the men Just make a little note next to isbal That this is men only Women are allowed a Below the ankle Women are allowed a uh, Below the ankle which is, between, which is the length of a forearm Below the ankle. As for the men, the men are not allowed even uh, anything at all. Now the Sunnah is for your clothing to reach halfway between your knee and your shin, but the Prophet allowed it to be lower. He said, "Fāin abayta fāasfāl." If you if you don't want to have it between your knee and your shin, then a bit lower. "Fāin abayta fāasfāl." And if you don't want to have it a bit lower, then a bit lower than that. "Fāin abayta." And if you refuse after that Then your izar, your lower garment Has no right to your ankles Uh, And we should refute at this point Anyone who says that this is only to do with pride Pride is not mentioned in the overwhelming majority of the ahadith Regarding isbal But people look for any little reason So that they can justify what they do But inshallah that is clear And you can read the ahadith on that the emphatic prohibition of killing yourself And that the one who kills themselves Will be punished with it in the fire And that no one will enter paradise but a Muslim Again, this is the another major sin Which is the major sin of killing yourself And again, this should be very clear And it's very relevant in our time When some people uh, seek nearness to Allah By killing themselves Which is something that you could not understand If you read these ahadith because there is no permission for a Muslim to kill themselves And your body is not, the right of, it's not your right But it is something that Allah has loaned to you and given to you Chapter 48 The emphatic prohibition against stealing from the spoils of war And no one will enter the paradise uh, Except the believer Again, this is another major sin That Imam uh, Muslim mentions in uh, his book And again, all of those I want you to read the reason I'm missing them out is for two reasons Number one, there are some very important chapters Towards the end of the book that I think we need to cover Number two, because I believe that there isn't too much difficulty in them And we're just going to be repeating the same things that we said And number three, I want to give you something that you can do inshallah Before the exam that will keep you, you, know, keep you with some work to do ta'ala. Uh, And I'm going to ask questions on them So please do read them I'm not asking you to memorize them, but read them and be aware of them. So I might ask you to name three of the destructive sins, for example. Three of the sins that the Prophet said were destructive. Or one sin that is mentioned after shirk in one of these hadith. Or uh, one of the ones that Al-Imam Nawawi said was an emphatic prohibition. Or the one that is mentioned alongside Letting the garment thrown below the ankles in the three that Allah will not speak to on the day of judgment. So, these kind of questions, inshaAllah. Chapter 49 the evidence that the one who kills himself is not considered a disbeliever. So, look at Imam Al Nawawi. Again, he's giving you the answer, he's giving you the explanation. That yes, you may have read the previous hadith and thought that the one who kills himself. We'll never get out of Jahannam, however, we're going to see the evidence against this here It is narrated on the authority of Jabir that Tufayl, the son of Amr, al came to the Messenger ﷺ and said Do you need strong fortified protection? The tribe of Dawes had a fort in the pre-Islamic days The Prophet ﷺ declined this offer since the privilege of protecting the Prophet ﷺ had already been reserved for the Ansar when the Prophet ﷺ migrated to Medina Tufail the son of Amr, migrated to that place And they also migrated along with him a man of his tribe But the climate of Medina did not suit him and he felt sick He felt very uneasy So he took hold of the iron head of an arrow and cut his finger joints The blood streamed forth from his hands till he died Tufail the son of Amr, saw him in a dream His state was good and he saw him with his hands wrapped Tufail said to him what treatment did Allah give you? He said, Allah gave me pardon because of my migration to the Messenger wasallam." Tufail again said, what is I see that you wrapping your hands? He said, I was told by Allah we will not set right anything of yours which you damaged yourself And Tufail narrated this dream to the Prophet wasallam, And the Prophet wasallam, said, O oh Allah, grant pardon even to his hands This is a clear clear hadith, Ikhwan, yeah, that the one who kills himself is not kafir. Because it's not possible for Allah to forgive. Allah Subhanahu wa Ta'ala does not has said that he will not forgive it. It's beyond forgiveness. Allah Subhanahu wa Ta'ala will not forgive it. Those who die as disbelievers, we've already seen the evidence in the hadith in the previous chapters that the one who does a disbeliever will go to jahannam. However, this man that was with At-Tufail was forgiven because of his hijrah. And the hijrah doesn't forgive kufr. It's not that oh, you know, you don't forgive uh, uh, Abdullah ibn Salul and the munafiqeen and you know, the people who were with them and say, oh yeah, yeah, these people are forgiven because of their, they were accompanied the Prophet ﷺ, and they were munafiqeen. So the munafiq who accompanied the Prophet ﷺ is not forgiven. But Tufail was this, or the man that was with Tufail. Was forgiven because of his hijrah And that shows you that what he did was not disbelief He killed himself but what he did was not uh, disbelief But that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala didn't fix his hand Because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said We're not going to put right the thing that you uh, cut yourself So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala forgave him But in his grave Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala didn't make his hand his hand right. His hand kept his fingers cut off as a reminder to him that what he had done was wrong. And then the Prophet ﷺ made dua for Allah to forgive even his hand. And we hope that the dua of the Prophet ﷺ, uh, inshallah, in this instance was accepted. And that his, uh, his hand was made uh, right, But this is a very important chapter because it shows you once again, if anyone is lingering any doubts about this whole thing about Disbelief not being, you know, not taking you out of Islam or, and these actions not taking you out of Islam, then this is something which is, you know, really clear in these ahadith. And it also shows us the methodology of Ahlul Sunnah with regard to taking all of the hadith as a whole. Because if you didn't take this hadith and you took the other ones, the one who kills himself will be in Jahannam forever and ever and ever and ever. And then you didn't take this hadith, you would be lost. But look at the, hadith, look at the knowledge of al Imam Muslim. That he puts both hadith in there together so that you're aware when you read one And you're aware that when you read the other that it balances you out and you understand Okay, I understand now, it doesn't take you outside of Islam But it is such a severe sin that Allah threatened eternal punishment for it Chapter 50 regarding the wind that will blow before the resurrection And take the soul of anyone who has iman in their heart it's narrated on the authority of Abu Hurairah, the messenger of Allah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam said Indeed Allah will make a wind blow from the side of Yemen, more delicate than silk And would spare no, none but would cause him to die Who in the words of Abu al has faith equal to the weight of a grain And Abdul Aziz said, faith equal to the weight of a dust particle Al-Imam Muslim does mention the signs of the Day of Judgment in Kitab al-Iman But they're not in our half of the book I actually stopped, the, I got the brothers to stop the book before these Because the book would have been twice as long as it is now So these are not in The reason this is here is not because it's a sign of the Day of Judgment It's here to do with showing you how far Iman can decrease And to showing you that Iman can decrease so it's there to show you that iman can decrease till it's only the weight of a grain or the weight of a dust particle however we said once again that it has to contain action there has to be action in there if there's no action then and the person turns completely away from islam in every way then this is what we call kufru arab and we've explained this previously so this is there to show you how far iman can decrease and to show you that iman does decrease in the hearts of the people chapter 51 Encouragement to hasten to do good deeds before the emergence of the fitna It is narrated on the authority of Abu Hurairah that the Messenger of Allah wasallam) said Be prompt in doing good deeds before you are overtaken by a fitna Which will be like a part of the dark night During that period a man will be Muslim in the morning and disbeliever in the evening Or a believer in the evening and a disbeliever in the morning And would sell his faith for the worldly goods This uh, is from the ahadith of the fitan That the Prophet ﷺ told would come to the believers And this is something that the scholars of Islam Did not agree about whether it is past or whether it is to come And in fact this is something that happens You know, the, the, the trials and tribulations Happen to the Muslim ummah from time to time And in each of these trials and tribulations And they get worse every time And as they get worse every time, the scholars of the time say, this is the fitna that the Prophet ﷺ told us about. This is the fitna that will come like a part of the dark night. So when the companions fought against each other, the people said, this is the fitna that will come like a part of the dark night. And then when the worst fitna came, like the rebellion of Ibn al ashath the the scholars said that, and the killing of Al-Husayn and so on and so forth, they said, this is the fitna that will come like... The dark night And then when the worst fitan came after that And the slaughter of the Muslims at the hands of the tatar And the same thing The scholars said This is the fitnah that will come Like the dark night The reality is the fitan are many And as we get closer to the day of judgment The fitan become more and more and more And wallahi you can't look at this And say that a person is free of this And this is a time when You fear that this applies That a person in the morning They become Muslim Or in the morning they're a Muslim and by the time night falls, they've left their religion. And they've sold their religion for some worldly price. And I think this is a very uh, you know, sobering hadith you know, at the end of the day. Uh, nobody should feel safe from the plot of Allah. Do they feel safe from the plot of Allah? Nobody feels safe from the plot of Allah except for the losing people. And from this is the evil of the person who exchanges their deen for some worldly goods However, in this regard, we want to be clear um, While we're on the topic of Iman and Kufr That doing something for a worldly reason does not necessarily make you a kafir As in, doing something for compromising your deen for a worldly reason does not necessarily make you a kafir And the evidence for this, and you might want to write this down Is the Hadith of Hatib ibn Abi Hatib, or Hatib ibn Abi Hatib ibn Abi Belta'a? Belta'a. Hatib ibn Abi Belta'a was a companion of the Prophet ﷺ. And he was not from Quraysh And his family Were hostage in Makkah When I say hostage They weren't exactly in prison But they were, you know, they were living in Makkah And they didn't have any tribal clans To protect them And so Hatib wrote a letter To Quraysh Informing them About the Prophet ﷺ, I.e. spying For Quraysh on behalf Against the Prophet. And he sent a letter that if it had reached Makkah, then it may have led to the death of the Prophet. Because this letter was a letter that contained the troop movements towards Makkah in the conquest of Makkah, and it would have led to Quraysh being prepared and being lying in wait for the Prophet, and it could have led to his death. Hatib was caught, and I think it was Umar who said, O Messenger of Allah, let me chop off the head of this munafiq, as was the nature of uh, Umar. It was either Umar or Khalid ibn Walid. I don't recall from this. I think from my head it was Umar, but again, they said, let me chop off the head of this munafiq. The Prophet ﷺ said, no, for perhaps you don't know that Allah looked at the people of Badr and said, do whatever you like, for I have forgiven you. Because Hatib was from the people who took place In the Battle of Badr And Hatib said to the Prophet He said I did not do this Out of a hatred for Islam Or he said something similar to this I did not do this out of a hatred of Islam But I have family in Makkah And we have no tribe to protect them And I wanted to curry favor with Quraysh I.e. it was purely a worldly reason I love Allah I love you as a Prophet But I... I felt desperate that I needed to do something to protect my family, and I did it. And the Prophet affirmed his Iman, affirmed that he was a believer, and said, What will make you know that Allah looked at the people of Badr and said, Do whatever you like, for I have forgiven you. So, this hadith of Hatib ibn Abi Belt'a is a very strong evidence that compromising your religion for worldly reasons does not take you outside of Islam. However, when it takes you outside of Islam is when you seek to allow another religion control over Islam or you seek to destroy Islam or something uh, to that effect. So this hadith is very important that we understand it in the context of this, that selling your iman for worldly goods, there's no doubt you can sell your iman for worldly goods to a greater or a lesser extent, either to the extent that you uh, you know, you either either to the extent that you uh, compromise your deen in some of your iman, or to the extent where you literally sell your entire deen because you compromise so completely that you leave Islam. But you need to be very clear that somebody doing something for a worldly reason, as long as it doesn't constitute supporting the disbelievers against the Muslims in their religion, then it doesn't take them outside of Islam. And that's very important because you will need it with the arguments of the Khawarij when they start to talk about takfir of people And they will say, yes, but they helped the non-Muslims against the Muslims They say, for what? Was it a worldly reason? Then you have the Hadith of Hatab Which is a clear evidence that it doesn't take you outside of Islam If it was for the sake of seeing Christianity overcome Islam and to knock down the Masajid and build churches, that's a different matter but if it was for the sake of getting some worldly power or holding on to a seat or keeping a rulership, then this doesn't take you outside of Islam and it is a sin and it can be forgiven by the good deeds that a person does. As it was in the case of, how then perhaps Allah looked at the people of Badr and said, do whatever you want for I have forgiven you. And so that's an important point to make regarding the issue of uh, helping the uh, non-Muslims against the Muslims. I think we have to wrap it up there um, For this session Do we have We still have one, right? We still have another session I'm still hopeful I'm hopeful We have uh, Around about Just a little bit Maybe 16 Do we have 16 pages A little bit Maybe less than that or Maybe a little bit more 17, 18 18 pages or so left Perhaps Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala Will bless us with being able to complete it And if we don't then We did our best In ta'ala